Welcome to the Impossible Podcast, as we discuss A Good Man Goes to War. I'm Caleb Woodbridge. I'm Swithin Dobson. And I'm Peter Bell. Did you think of the twists, turns, and revelations in uh, last night's episode? Um, I think I liked the revelations. And now, as to whether it mashed together for a coherent episode, on the other hand, I'm somewhat more sceptical about. Mm. Um... It has some really good lines. It's probably the funniest, I think, of the episodes this season. In particular, one, Steve Wunderchuk, uh, <laughs> which is pretty. There's uh, so many mildly out of Steve Wunderchukes. <laughs> what did you think, Peter? Uh, it was less twisty and turny than I thought it would be, actually, which, in one respect, is a relief, because I have been worried that. Uh, Stephen Moffat would fall prey to Lost Syndrome, uh, in that he would deliberately just pile on more mysteries and more questions and build up to yet another game-changing um, you know, cliffhanger to keep everyone interested for the next few months. But this, this was a refreshingly straightforward action-adventure story. It did have a few uh, shock revelations here and there, and one that I think most of us had seen coming for a while, but was nevertheless well handled. Um, I'm, I'm with Swithin that there are a few things that don't quite add up, uh, but no, all in all, I enjoyed it. It carried itself along quite well. It was well paced. It had some fantastically funny moments, some good characters. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I I, I, I I enjoyed it tremendously. I thought it it was great fun, and I thought the reveal of uh, River Song as uh, Rory and Amy's daughter, which I'd kind of guessed at, but I thought it was handled uh, really well, uh, and just um, uh, makes uh, an awful lot of sense. Uh, so uh, yeah, that w- that was great. Um, and just, I, I loved the whole cast of characters and found it quite interesting. Just, uh, it's the attempt it made to examine the Doctor's character and actions and motives a bit more. So, uh, it was at times incredibly silly, um, but, uh, it had me chuckling away and, uh, it was so much fun. I was more than ready to, uh, overlook the um, some of the gaps in in logic uh, with the doctor bringing in spitfires and pirates and uh, so on uh, and all that kind of thing. It, it did feel a little as though he were channeling Russell T Davis at times. Oh yeah, in the sense of let's let's just recap every minor character we've ever had for oh, the last couple of years. And then the pirates really aren't very good because they let the eye patch woman disappear. I have I have more to say on the Hugh Bonneville ca- cameo. <laughs> I will, we'll get to that as we get into the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's uh, crack on with the commentary. If you're listening along at home, 
Press play now. And here we are, the recap of all the things happening over the last few episodes. While we're recapping, something from the Rebel Flesh that was never picked up on again and resolved. The Doctor had that little snow globe that he kept shaking mm. and was never referenced again. So do we think that's going to crop up in part? In six season six B, or I imagine it's just a quirk that they didn't actually have anything clever uh, to do with another victim of the cutting room floor. I do. There is one thing which comes to what year does this episode on the station actually take place in hmm. regards to timeline in sixty nine? It would therefore indicate that they have some form of time travel, unless of course they're just somewhere else in the universe and far more advanced than Earth. Well, they've obviously got somebody to infiltrate our time and capture Amy, haven't they? Mm. Mm. Well, unless, of course, it's the silence behind everything. Well, this is it. I was expecting the silence to appear in this, and I was quite surprised when they didn't make an appearance. Mm. It would make sense that they were. And here's the cute little baby. And we've got an interesting story about the baby, because it was almost our friend's uh, twins. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Cause the, the Andrews twins were almost... Who live? Who live? Literally, I think two minutes around the corner from where we're recording this podcast. And uh, Nick, their father, works for BBC Wales. And the call went out for newborn babies, twins, uh, so they could work in shifts. Oh right! Um, because it's illegal to keep a <laughs> baby working for eight hours straight. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, they they were away. Were they away on holiday at the time? They, they weren't able to make the dates. But yeah, it's very sad because it had been so cool if our friends' babies had been uh, written a song. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and we've got uh, our friends' babies are slightly cuter than that one as well. Apologies to whoever's baby that really is. <laughs> and uh, we've got Cybermen stomping around already. And yes. the, the, we are piling on layer and layer of story and just sheer geekery at the moment. It, it really is. But I'm quite glad that Moffat is turning, in the space of two or three minutes, has turned the Cybermen into a credible galactic threat again and not mm. just a group of slightly wet behind the ears, stomp, tin soldiers stomping around. This, this is, I quite like this. Yeah. At the beginning. Because especially you think the guy is the doctor because of the, um, of the sonic screwdriver. Mm. Yes. And then it's like, and, and oh no, no, please no, please don't, don't be worried, no, please don't be EastEnders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did have a sort of moment of panic where she said, um, uh, because this man is your father, it's like, what? <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but, but yeah, this is a moment of Rory Awesome, and I'm sure uh, Olivia, who hopefully we'll be hearing from, uh, sort of exploded in squee at this particular oh, moment. Like, like, like a ganger avatar. <laughs> just been popped. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a great line, Bloom Slankbook. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, you do have the convenient thing of why they don't just shoot him on site. Well, yeah. You've got this wheeling space reference in the background there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this entire pre credit sequence is wonderful. Yeah. And it's hard to make a side man look surprised, but they manage. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Would you like me to repeat the question? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that is a seriously cool opening. Yeah. It's just a wonderfully economic bit of storytelling. In the space of two minutes, we've set up yeah, great galactic empires and things exploding and threats and mythology and it is a, terrific. It, it is nice to have a bit of basically space opera. Yes, yeah. yes. It's it's what we've been lacking. For all of the mystery oh, yeah, and the yeah. puzzle, it's we've been lacking a bit of gung ho action. And it's very Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, this, this based on the Hoth, it's what it is. It does have that feel to it, doesn't it? But I, I did feel, though, that, um, I mean, you've got this supposedly impenetrable base, and you've got uh, the whole thing of um, them building up it up as this place like the Death Star. But I never fully had that sense of, of scale of it being that impenetrable. No, they, no, you never get the sense of threat from them either. Mm. Uh, they're a, fairly, a, they're a fairly generic army, and B, the only soldiers we actually meet are the comedy gay couple yes. and the sympathiser, uh, what's her name, Bucket. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which just makes me think of Hyacinth <laughs> Bucket and keeping a Lorna Bucket. Lorna Bucket, that's it. And yeah, they're all quite bored. They obviously seem to know an awful lot about the Doctor, and they're an army that's been raised specifically to seek out and destroy him. Yet they should know then that he can just materialise anywhere inside the base, and instead of having great ships and guns and weapons, what they really need are just better locks. <laughs> And CCTV cameras. Oh, here we go. And here we have the whole. Uh, I mean, already we've got the return of the so-called uh, gay agenda, but now another pet uh, thing of Russell T Davies is picked up by Stephen Moffat, which is the atheist agenda, and the because um, uh, religion is obviously uh, irrational, it's a matter of the heart rather than uh, the head and you might as well go the whole way and chop your brain off um, there was an interesting exchange on Twitter between Paul Cornell, who's um, an Anglican Christian, and uh, yes, well, he's, he's I think he's some, he described himself as an Anglican Wiccan, so it's a bit more complicated. Oh, so 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 get on with Rowan Williams then, a <laughs> theist, but yeah, um, so perhaps not your traditional common and garden Christian, but. Um, uh, uh, sort of picking up on on that, and uh, Moffat said, "Well, in um, time of angels, the clerics were the good guys, which the doctor didn't notice. And uh, if you consider the amount of times that Doctor Who has evil scientists, it's uh, not exactly imbalanced, and it was more for a laugh. And that evil Christians are one of those things that you get in in stories like uh, stupid prime ministers and uh, corrupt cops that are much more common in fiction." He sort of agreed with that. But I did find it a, a bit irritating. Um, I, I would probably have been more irritated had they been specifically Christian, whereas they appear to be just generically religious. Well, the, and I know that it's supposed to be. Mm. It, it is used for comic effect to a certain extent, and they talk yeah. about the papal mainframe, which they refer to as a woman. 
and yeah, you've got the married Anglican soldiers and all sorts of things. But uh, yeah, it, it's never actually specified what their theology is or what they actually believe in. They're just generically mm. religious. And now we have the uh, Victorian uh, Silurian crime-fighting uh, lesbian duo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got these references to Talon to Wen Chang at, at this point. Mm. And there's a, no, no, there's a spin-off waiting to happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I quite liked this. I, I, I wasn't... Uh, Sudan and I were, were discussing the Silurian redesign just before we started recording this, and while we're not particularly fans. I think it was used to far greater effect in this story than it was in the Silurian two-parter last year. What do you mean the design? Or the oh, well, the, the, just the characterisation of the Silurians. And it, the design annoyed me less, perhaps just because I've become more used to it. But here comes my favourite character of the entire episode. The Welsh Sontaran nurse. Is it me, or is this supposed to be set in the battle that Martha takes, has? With the Sontarans. No, 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 this is something else. Okay. No, 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 I was thinking when David Tennant did his world tour before he dies. Oh, no, I think that was just a random Sontaran no, because on it's a similar aesthetic. But it is. Also, the, the fat blue guy, I think, is the bar... Is he the barman when Jack goes into the bar? The no. He's not. No, that's not. It just felt else. the same. It's a similar set. It's, it's the it's a Star it's Wars Tatooine. It's a Tatooine uh, bar. Mm. Oh no, that might be set in the same bar, but I don't think he's the bar. Okay, he definitely gave me the same. Mister gave me the Martha feel as well. Mm. Yes, it's it's kind of urban warfare mm. type thing. I I I, I thought um, well, I was uh, part expecting. Um, I mean, this is the kind of situation where you expected the uh, Doctor to go and pick up Captain Jack. We know he, the real reason he didn't is because John Barrowman's busy filming Tortured in America. Um, but I thought they perhaps missed a trick if they'd have set that battle in the uh, 51st century and had the boy as mm. the young Jack just to yes, yes, make some good. kind of reference. And sort of have the doctor got a few years out. Oh well, <laughs> pick up the uh, Sultara nurse instead, and have a song in a open high security prison. Yes, again. Nice <laughs> month. And um, a hint here of the connection with it being River Song's birthday. Oh. What's what's the connection there? I'm well lost track of uh, the time. No, no, she says the Dutch. Oh, just of course, she's just been born. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. Oh. And here you've got much more of a hint uh, in the, her reaction to him. Mm. Oh, I, I completely missed that. Uh, and here's the Stevie yeah, Wonder gag. Yeah. Yes. This was wonderful. <laughs> It is great seeing Rory doing a lot. Yes, mm. and of course they're keeping the Doctor back. Yeah, we're about ten minutes into it. It's, it's almost twenty minutes before we actually mm. see him. That, that's quite effective, and it, it does keep him as this looming presence. Mm. Oh, ominous demons run. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it was just the music and everything. Mm. It's like 
this, 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 this is the point that they've been building up to from uh, the silence in the library Forest of the Dead episodes, isn't it? When um, she says that armies will turn and... Is it turn and run at the mention of his name? Uh, oh, yeah. I hate We that. don't know if it's specifically <laughs> this. Uh, but this is... It's certainly been foreshadowed within the last couple of series. Yeah. Uh, talk of the Doctor rising higher than he ever has and then falling further than... Uh, he ever will. Well, yeah, that's the speech which, there, yeah, which is repeated here. But it doesn't. I, I was a little disappointed when it actually came to it because it doesn't feel as though he's risen higher than he ever has. He hasn't yeah, fallen too far. Well, the, the, the battle of demons run did seem a bit more of a skirmish or an ambush. Yes. They, 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 all, again, all the foreshadowing is suggesting something that's going to be truly epic and mm-hmm. legendary in scale. When it actually comes to it, I don't think the budget, and in some cases the direction, quite live up to it. Yeah, I don't know whether this is going to, to have further repercussions. Um, well, we assume that we'll, the army and the clerics are going mm-hmm. and... Uh, Lady, I patch Lady, Lady Kavarin. Yeah. Uh, going to well, Lady Kavarin will certainly appear mm. in the second half of the season. But we're never told what the war against the Doctor is for, or what's caused it, or you know, who's been summoning the army. It's just oh, we're in fear of you. Oh, oh. But you only really fear if you do something wrong. Mm. You know, what are you up to? Why don't you like him? It's it's implied that there is an awful lot of backstory to this, but it's not really hinted at and it's not mm. I don't think it's put across particularly well again they are just a generic army that have been raised to fight the Doctor and they could really be there for any old reason it's, it's just that I assume there must be a good reason I noticed the way where the episodes work I, I, I generally dislike that quite, we are getting to deification of the Doctor's things again to some extent as in Oh, he's so dangerous. We're going to find that and raise an arm before we actually do anything to annoy him. It it, it is a preemptive strike, it, so it, to speak. Yeah, yeah. but I don't know. Ego raising of me. I I just dislike. I, I liked the way it sort of called that into question, though. That uh, you have the whole speech of him not not being a goblin, a trickster, all these things. Mm. Uh, the sort of repudiation of. Yeah, because Moffat has gone on record recently as saying that his intention is to do away with this, um, the Doctor's fame within the stories. Oh, so the the series self consciousness of the Doctor as a great and powerful warrior against against evil, which is ironic, as as it's Moffat who's chiefly responsible for setting that in motion, um, Mm. most notably uh, in Forest of the Dead. Um, but yeah, the oh, I win by CB. Yeah, this, this doctor having seeming to have a sense of uh, entitlement of cool. Yeah, how dare you actually stand against me? Don't you know how this works? I turn up and I defeat you. So why bother fighting me? Yeah, because that's just seriously it undermines the character and it undermines any sense of drama. I, I think the thing that annoys me about it is that it drastically underestimates the size of the universe. Um, <laughs> yes, because uh, when you consider just how vast all of time and space and uh, history is, then 
for the doctor, even if he's 900 or 9,000 or 900,000 years, the amount of planets he could actually uh, visit in that lifetime would be a tiny, 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 infinitesimal fraction of the universe, and then you consider the space of history. So for him to be well enough known, he'd have to be so focused on one particular point to be the galactic equivalent of sort of hanging round one particular little village in uh, some somewhere in uh, the middle of the co- countryside, oh. just in the immediate vicinity of Earth. And I think this idea of the Doctor being famous yeah. does make it seem a bit... <clears throat> yes. It, it, it lessens the scale. And I think you could... Ha- if, if there was more of a these are the legends of the among the humans because he's particularly interested with yes. humans and they've heard stories even among some of the far distant worlds of other races mm. that there's these things you could have a sense of um, that it's particularly around humans he's interested and so it's particularly among them they have these legends but otherwise it just does feel a bit makes the universe small. Mm. And, and as I was saying, I, I feel personally that it just undermines the character because part of the charm and and the power of the Doctor is that he's always seemed quite inconsequential. He's the last person in the world to look at that you would think of as a great and powerful warrior. And in the past he would never have referred to him or thought of himself no. as a powerful warrior. It's, it's what I think of as the Miss Marple effect. Miss Marple is the sweet little old lady who's pouring the cups of tea and you know, is constantly mislaying her reading glasses and passing around macaroons. And so everyone underestimates her whilst, she's, whilst this razor-sharp intellect is dissecting the, these, these crimes and uh, bringing the guilty parties to justice. And it's the same with the Doctor. He's supposed to be the old man or the bumbling buffoon or the slightly uh, adult eccentric who doesn't really seem to be... Um, you know, on top of things at all. Mm. Um, but in the end, he's the one with the experience and the knowledge and the intellect to actually overcome all of these problems and all of these far more, uh, you know, uh, far more direct and threatening problems. Whereas if he just swans in and says, well, I have absolute, you know, I, I, I know I'm going to win, so why don't why don't you just stop right now and don't even try mm. and face me? Then, uh, mm, then uh, it, it kills the character for me. Well, uh, here we have the whole big speech, um, but you never entirely find out what exactly they've got against the Doctor. Um, and uh, but this is a tremendously fun moment oh, yeah. uh, now as we get uh, the reveal of the Doctor. <laughs> yeah, and how far are we in there? That's around nineteen minutes. Almost <laughs> twenty minutes. Shoot him! This is what yeah. you're all recruited for. Yeah. This is what you're all trained for. Thank you. Well, I, I do like having the character of uh, Lorna, and she did. It did feel almost like the setup for a companion. Yes. Um, and it's. I do love the sort of um, 
steampunk Silurian Victorian yeah, thing. Yeah, she does work. Uh, have, have, since when have the Silurians been carnivals, by the way? Since when have they actually sort of eaten people? Or is that a new development? I never remember that. In the past at all. No, I didn't think they did. No. So the, this, they're not very got, good, these soldiers, are they? No, he's not oh, got a single night, <laughs> yeah. set of night vision goggles amongst you. The um, Headless Monks, of course, is a connection back to uh, the um, Time of Angels, because uh, the museum at the start is the final resting place of the Headless Monks. Oh, is, oh, it? is it? Okay. I missed that entirely. Stephen Moffat does seem to like picking up on characters and things that have been mentioned and then uh, incorporating them into yeah. stories, which I, I do quite like, but it does uh, bring the danger of yeah. making it, again, seem a very small universe. Yeah. And very self-referential. There's this shootout between the monks and the soldiers. It didn't feel particularly tense. It didn't no. feel particularly fast-paced. I think it needed some faster intercutting. It just felt a little relaxed and then the, the big motivational speech beforehand was just laughable mm. why is he doing that with a stupid and so here, here we've got the uh, why do you put up with me dialogue and, and it's because she's good with her tongue <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh dear oh dear oh dear despite the fact that it would presumably render her unconscious so quite what they get out of that I don't know some rather cool guns I do like the guns and, and, and some lightsaber like swords yeah, uh, I was less impressed with the swords. It, 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 it just feels too much of a Star Wars. I mean, the whole aesthetic. Like you have one of them do the uh, Emperor style blast out of his hands as well, yes. and then the guy going, "No, oh, none of it is particularly original in terms of, in concept or imagery." Um, but no, it's just mm, more. Or, it's it's more or less well handled. Mm. Oh, these soldiers just don't feel threatening. Yes, you are. Clearly you are. You are clearly useless. And you also need to vet your recruits a little more closely because you've got an obvious and open sympathiser amongst your ranks. Yeah, I thought that was a bit strange. The lighting's quite nice, though. Hmm. The green. Yeah, I mean, the the set. I mean, it's it's not a set, obviously. It's filmed on location in the factory or a warehouse somewhere. But it does feel... Nice and grandiose oh, yeah. and sprawling. Oh, did you spot the uh, green uh, stand of fire exit sign uh, oh, in I the didn't. background just there? <laughs> and oh, here comes oh, the nice. here, here comes our money shot. The ones we could always do. Just while they bring all all all, all the other uh, gang together to to beat them all up. I did think the idea of the Doctor as the intergalactic bailiff was uh, a little stretched, to say the least. Having said that, using a, a races which are honourable, inverted commas, such as Silurians and the Santarans, mm. make, make it make a little bit more sense, although it's yes. still incredibly stretched. I, 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 I quite liked it, and uh, this is very silly with the Spitfires, but... Oh, but you've got great the entire fun. space armada with all of these ships that you've shown us, and they're not, they, none of them can take on two Spitfires? These, these space Spitfires lead the most charmed existence <laughs> in science fiction. <laughs> they've taken on a new Dalek paradigm, they've taken on the greatest army ever assembled, they've just flown straight through the middle of all of it. Oh, 
at the beginning, when it, when I thought, oh, it could be the doctor talking about, when Amy was talking to the child, it reminded me of like she was like Superman in a little thing that ah. was sent away to a planet. Are these the TARDIS corridors? Am I right in thinking that these are the TARDIS corridors, slightly redressed? Quite possibly. I won't be surprised. Well, I'm sure they're the, look, it's the same shape, and they've got the roundels and. Hang on, here we go. We're having a plot logic point of coming up now. Rory has a knife to her neck. Oh, dear. We have the rubbish pirates. Mm. He takes the child. Whose child no longer appears to be ill. No. Interestingly. And then she seems to disappear. What were the pirates doing? Uh, well, they bring her t to the control oh, room. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm quite glad. I'm, I'm quite happy for them to bring Hugh Bonneville back if it serves a plot point, which it does here. But then you've got to do something else with him. Because what does... What well, space are you, are you, I'm, I'm guessing they added that in at the last moment after they moved the Pirates oh, episode back to the course, first half of yes. the series. I haven't considered that. I, I, I did like this with the Doctor uh, really angry and sort of yes. um, out of control. But he, he pauses and says, oh, I'm angry, that's new. But no, we've seen him angry ooh, dozens of times over this, <laughs> over the past couple of series, over the past forty years. <laughs> I did like this exchange. This exchange is quite nicely done. Doctor mm. has no rules. And it's interesting that they've actually got a, a female villain who appears to be a recurring threat, who, or who will be through the rest of this series. Uh, who's an intellectual and a physical threat to the Doctor. It's not something that they've really done. I think Derva Kerwin in The Next Doctor is the last serious female villain that we've had. Yes, there were the female Silurians in uh, the Silurian 2 part of last series, but uh, mm. they weren't a real personality in the sense that Lady Kavarian is. That's true. Mm. You should appears to be threatening him with an electric toothbrush or... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is quite a nice little reunion. Yes, it did, it, it did bring a tear to my eye. It is, as I say, I've said already, um, it's the first episode of they actually look like they're married in any chemistry between them. Yes, whatsoever. yes, yeah, they've been. And I, th I think it helps that they've got the baby to bond over. They, they have yeah, a focus yeah, yeah. for the relationship now, and it's not just. Comedy jokes back and forth. Oh. If you were going to take on uh, a gigantic space army, would you dress as a Roman? Yeah, well, Romans, Romans, Romans are the best army in kind of sci fi history. No, this is true. <laughs> Doctor's idea, apparently. <laughs> and it looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, this is so nice. <laughs> yeah. You think, think you'll be like this when. Oh, oh, baby bell comes oh, along. Then, yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Amy and Rory not being the only one with a baby on the way now. No, this is true. <laughs> the next generation of impossible podcasters <laughs> in production as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make my little baby grow with a bow tie and a tweed jacket. <laughs> Leather elbow patches. What does uh, the wife think of this? <laughs> oh, all for it. <laughs> Melody Pond is mm. a superhero. Oh, I see. Do we think there's any deeper significance to the fact that she keeps referring to as as a, as a Melody Pond, apart from the obvious reveal? Or is it just a... Uh, 
is it just a device for the uh... I, I did spot that connection I was like Melody Pond mmm River Song mmm Yes. I, this, this yes. Stuff I have, I have to threatened to start referring to the good lady wife as a big milk thing. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor speaks baby. Yes. I did appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. No, this this is one of the best scenes of the episode. Mm. Ominous, ominous, ominous. Uh, <laughs> this is the point at which you think Rory would say something. But no, but no, no, no. Is it me with the baby? Is the baby CGI'd slightly at some points? Well, it looks like they. she's not actually holding a baby there. No, 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 no. I mean, there's, there's other sequences before. It just seems a little bit artificial. No, I don't think so. When, the, when you're looking at Eye Patch Lady later on. Um, have a look again. I don't, I don't know. know. It didn't look entirely <laughs> normal. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was it. <laughs> yeah. It's the Centaurum Breastman. Brilliant. Here we've got the Gallifreyan cot. Yes. The Doctor's cot, as it's later revealed to me. Yeah, and here we have another reference to the Doctor's Children, which uh, has cropped up a few times since the new series started, hasn't it? Mm. Three or four. Do you have children? Yeah. I thought he always avoids the question. Mm. It's interesting that he was happy to mention it casually to Rose. <laughs> yeah, but this is more of a plot. Mm. This is more of the plot points, eh? Not really. So, where do we think she was taken? Well, it says here that um, just before uh, America. Mm. Yes, I'm assuming it's between um, episodes one and two, the impossible astronauts and day of the moon, because she told the doctor that she was pregnant in episode one, and by episode two she was saying that she wasn't. But she thought she but that's been. in America though. Yes, in so it's not before America. Doctor says just before America. Yeah, but I was with Pete. I thought that. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was more likely. Halfway foods. Because she definitely looks pregnant in the first episode. Yes, yes. having rewatched it again today. <laughs> well, that bit anyway. Yeah, they're very clever. Who ever wants our baby? Why do they want her? We've still got quite a lot of unanswered questions here. What's the baby for? It's well, we know, we know. Well, we we don't know for a fact that the girl in the spacesuit is River Song, although we assume that she is. Yeah. Mm. Um, but this means River Song can regenerate. But the question is, is then if it's her that shoots the Doctor on the beach in the first episode, is River Song's memory wiped at some point? Otherwise, she why did she shoot herself? Well, she says, of course, which seems that she's realising something. Yes. Um, she realises that something that she was trying to stop was inevitable. Yeah, but she thinks she would have remembered herself doing it. There's also the scene in the warehouse in Florida where she's scanning the spacesuit and that alien array and doesn't appear to recognise any of it, which is interesting, because if it was her in the suit, you'd think she would remember it. Yeah. 
unless she's a, just playing along. Unless, unless the uh, regeneration sequence messes with her memory. That's a possibility, yes. That would make some sense. Hmm. But in that case, why doesn't she regenerate when she dies at the end of the... Because she's, well, she's, uh, she's not entirely time lord, well, she's just she's, a little bit. She's killed outright, and she says to the Doctor that he wouldn't regenerate. Ah, oh, it, right. would fry, it would fry his brain. Okay. So, so, okay, we'll get around then. so we've got the... Uh, the fused, the fused uh, baby thing with the four yes. time vortex energy. I'm well. I was, I, I was about to say that I'm not entirely convinced that simply conceiving a child on the TARDIS is enough to make them part time lord. But then it seems that the Doctor isn't entirely convinced of that either. So I'm, I'm quite willing to go along with it. Mm. I, I think there's a nice sense of building menace as they try and work out what's going on and of the trap closing. Hmm. Although it does seem that a bit of an oversight that none of them remembered the headless monks at all when they were marching everybody off the yeah where did the headless monks hide themselves? Oh yeah, because they don't march them off because they? No, they were all surrounded by the Silurians <laughs> when when they sort of teleported in and they revealed themselves. No, those are the TARDIS corridors. I'm certain of it. Yeah, uh, makes sense really. Wow. So we did get to see them at least once again in the series. <laughs> it does seem a bit odd um, in a family show having quite so much uh, resting well, it's, on it's the conception of the. Yes, well, it, seems, it seems it seems that they're they're, they're um, so loath to actually openly talk about the conception of a child when we're having interspecies lesbian <laughs> relationships and gay cleric time warriors. To be fair, it's kind of reasonably important plot-wise, so it didn't yeah. really... Yeah. And when it's all put with the wedding night, well, maybe it's a little too... I, it, it didn't bother me. Mm. I, I, and again, there's the implication that Amy and Rory haven't actually done anything until their wedding night, until they're safely married. Ooh, so. Why not? Why on earth not? Oh, but that's another Silurian warrior that is actually one left. Yeah, well, the, I think the implication is that they're all standing guard around the place. Where? <laughs> well, just around the station in general, yeah. but they don't seem to be particularly good. Mm. No, in, in fact, we're told, in fact, the entire Silurian army should still be there, because we're told that it's the Jadoon who escorted the clerics oh, yeah. out of... Demons run. So the entire Silurian army that were enough to overpower the clerics are all still on board. And what they are, are we supposed to believe, believe that they've been taken out by a dozen headless monks silently without anybody spotting it? It seemed a little bit easy. I mean, I'm quite happy to accept the fact that the headless monks are hiding on board and you know and launch an ambush. But you've got to explain what's happened to Captain Avery, to the Space Spitfires, to... Well, it, 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 it did oh, mention that they've gone back to their own time. Yeah, OK. Um, but yeah, it does seem then that the implication is, is that River is created as um, a weapon to destroy the Doctor, which uh, adds new light on the whole, that she killed a man, a hero to many, mm. and the suggestion that she actually killed the Doctor, which does 
strongly imply that it is her in the spacesuit. Yes. But obviously there's quite a lot of further questions that raise, like why doesn't she say anything, why doesn't she remember, seem to remember. Well, that's right, the regeneration thing probably makes the most sense. Oh, this was hilarious. Oh, what's that? It's a force field. Everybody knows it's a force field. Oh, wait. Dialogue. It's a force field. It's possible that the Doctor is able to switch off in two seconds just by waving his sonic screwdriver around Sorry. later on as well. Now, I know he's not here yeah. at the moment, but... Uh, oh, and we get the the attack prayer as well. <laughs> which is just, yeah, just, just some people wandering around going, oh, oh, oh no, it's the attack prayer. <laughs> yes. It is quite creepy in the episode. Oh, yeah, the music's good, but it's just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, there is a real, much more of a sense of danger here of the um, of them all in peril of and surrounded. Uh, yes. I had the sense of, of tension here that I didn't get earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and that was quite Scottish funny. agenda. When one of the fans pointed out to Stephen Moffat at the preview screening that uh, Amy was drinking wine in episode one when she already knew she was pregnant. He said, was, well, is that really responsible? You know, is she, or does she, was she not sure that she was pregnant at that point? He said, no, she's just Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this man is doomed. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. blue fat man, but you are finished. Oh, we, oh, we just sold him out when he's clearly a wheeler dealer. And <laughs> so it's like, are they really going to take his word for it? <laughs> no, I do like the fact that the prequel did actually fit into the plot and at least this, this character's development through the uh, through the episode because you actually get to see him doing his deal with the Headless Monks mm-hmm. although we're not sure we don't know at the point that they're the Headless Monks yeah. And, and yeah just that one brief shot of him so if the Headless Monks chop off your head you automatically become a Headless Monk Ooh. you don't just die you become one of them you're converted. Hmm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you spin on conversion. Now, this was quite a shocking twist. I did like this. Quite a brave move for you know, a family tea time drama. Yeah. But for a moment, I thought that Amy again was another avatar. Yes, that would have been slightly annoying. It would, but I was thinking, is she? Mm. And then. Hmm. And then uh, baby explode. Now you see, that's a much better battle sequence than the first one. Mm, it is a bit better, yes. Now I was expecting the Doctor to really make some big terrible mistake and to do, to really um, do something wrong and uh, to sort of lose control because of his anger. And, yes. Uh, but they didn't go down that route. No, well, the only mistake he makes is not being there. Yeah. And forgetting, yeah, not really realising. That is really quite cool. Mm. <laughs> that's, oh, that's quite a brave move. Uh, yes, yeah, slightly disturbing as well. <laughs> Fame. But what I don't understand is why do the headless monks just seem to leave at this point? I, th- I think the idea is that they've been overcome. 
but they we they've yeah <laughs> again I think that's a bit of a narrative cheat because they've just shown the headless monks overpowering our force and on the verge of complete and utter victory and within three seconds you know, our remaining two or three heroes have killed them I'm not enjoying it. He's a great character. I've lived a long time. I do really like just the whole support set of supporting characters. It's just a really good um, range. I think um, Stephen Moffat isn't always as good as Russell T. Davies at sketching in the supporting Mm. characters, but I think the uh, ones he's got in here uh, are really good. I think, if anything, the only disappointment it is that, say, the fat and the thin one, that they disappear midway yeah. through. Again, though, I get the impression that there was some scene, at least there must have been a reaction of the thin one to seeing the mm. fat one turn into a headless monk. Um, but I, I, I think that ended up on the cut, cutting room floor. That's the impression I get, but I mm. could be wrong. Mm. This This scene where they're picking over yeah, the aftermath of the battle reminded me of the scene in the Naked Gun, where there's been a shootout and they need and Frank Drebin um, needs to get information <laughs> from those and and you know the, the the crook that he shot dies just before he can give him a vital clue and so he stands up and goes, "Is anybody else almost dead?" And one of the bodies raises his hand <laughs> and he goes jogging over. So it, yes, it's a bit of a cliche, but Just the point. I, I feel, it, it's um, well acted at least. I, I, yeah, I think Lorna was a good character, um, sort of very sympathetic. She's the kind of, I mean, given the track record of bringing back people who've had a small part as a companion, mm. I could very much see them doing yeah. that with her. So, do you think we'll be seeing young Lorna in series six B and this this scene? In the forest, where they actually well, they do seem it does seem quite clear they will be at a forest at some point. Yeah. And the reason, the reason, the reason why he doesn't well, the whole the it's the whole, it seems to be where an awful lot of the army has come from. It seems to have some point in the backstory of this war against the Doctor, the Ewoks land, quite possibly. And this whole thing of him uh, saying, of course I remember, and then, who is she? clearly lying. (laughs) But perhaps, I'm assuming he doesn't remember her, because he hasn't met her yet, in his timeline. Just a a pop up, when does Eyepatch Lady escape? Um, I've been talking so much I haven't been paying proper attention. She just seemed to have disappeared. Well, yeah, I don't know whether she was also fresh with perhaps... Uh, oh, oh she's that'd be quite yeah, I, but that's not actually implied at any point. No. If you're listening, please tell us where she... Yeah. When, when and where she disappeared. Because mm. I, I don't know. Where the hell... And I think it's interesting here just her speech sort of calling the doctor on his kind of warrior ways. Yes. Yeah. Someone bringing the doctor to task. Yes. At long last. I suppose, but he's, he, his intention wasn't necessary to kill anybody, it was just the fact that 
put a force of th a threat up and then not do anything particularly violent. But I, I, I thought the whole just picking apart the idea of the doctor scaring people off with just his name and sort of saying, actually, that's not such a good idea. Mm. Um, <laughs> and this whole thing with the word doctor, that's quite interesting. Because yeah. uh, this is actually a theory that um, Stephen Moffat put forward on uh, Usenet in 1995 that we got the word doctor from... Uh, the Doctor intervening in human his history over and over really? to mean a, a wise man. Yeah, uh, this whole thing here. Oh, so he's, he's been going back over some fairly old notes then. So. <laughs> he said he said it was a very silly theory, but consequently one he was quite proud of. Yeah. So it's obviously stuck with him. Yes, yeah, no, clearly. We, we, we brushed the edge of this topic uh, earlier on in this commentary and we spoke about it all, and Olivia particularly spoke about it uh, in quite some detail last week. What do we think of, especially given the furore that seems to have blown up um, in the Guardian science fiction blog in the last week or so, what do we think of uh, the gender roles this week as they're portrayed? Because Olivia wasn't happy that uh, Amy had become the damsel in distress character, as it were. Um, she felt that the character's strengths had been undermined by that. Do we think that's the case now, having, having seen the episode? She's pregnant. She's not in good nick. Uh, well, she's in good nick, but she's not in fighting form. Yeah, it, it, it's clear. And you've got clearly strong female characters throughout, so to... You know, you've got Eyepatch Lady, you've got River Song, I mean, you've got to some extent the Lorna as well. I mean, it's not bereft of any interesting female character, so I think to purely focus on that is myopic. I, I think, I mean, it's interesting the way River Song's uh, life story is being set up, going from the child created to bring down the Doctor mm. to the Doctor's uh, friend and lover. Yeah. Do you reckon? There was a link to um, the Doctor's Wife episode when the, when she kind of does the whole woo kind of thing just then and he touches his hand, which was his wedding hand, wedding ring hand, if it would have been, if he would have had one. I freeze-framed it oh, at that point. And right. um, he says hello, and that's what the TARDIS wants to say to him where before she dies, oh, the first thing. Yes, that's and true. then you've got the fusing of basically TARDIS energy, mm. time vortex, with River Song. So I'm thinking, is this a subtle reference that she is actually his wife? Ah, oh. She is the actual doctor's wife. I hadn't considered that, but that's a good theory. I've no, no idea if that's the way they're going to go, but it, it, it's got potential. It's your daughter's name in the language of the forest. I know my daughter's name. Now here's the reveal. I, I did quite like this. I, cause it was very well Because done. I had no idea that that's what it was, and I think Amy played it quite well. She's obviously really annoyed. And kind of lightens up to that girl a little yeah. bit, which is quite nice. I think it's a, a it was a wise move to take the Doctor out of this scene as well, and it's simply a family scene between Amy, mm. Rory, and yeah, River. Definitely. So does the doc does the do does the Doctor know this then? Yes. 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 Because he's, he's read the writing on the cot. 
So oh, the copywriting matches the patch that. Oh, right. Oh, I thought it read something else. Mm. Ah, no, no, it's the same thing. Oh, okay, sorry. I... Oh, that's just hilarious. <laughs> well, let's go on, Hitler. <laughs> I'm not sure, because it, it's, I think, um, Doctor Who Confidential, she is saying that that's how she uh, knows the Doctor's name, because she's read it in Gallifrey and from his cot. Oh, I see. Oh, right, I'm oh. sure I got the wrong end of the stick there. But it's not entirely clear, I'm not entirely sure. I thought it was... <laughs> it, it, it's, it mentions Ood in the credits, it said Ood and Jadoon, and we didn't have the Ood. Ah, so. well, another uh, deleted scene then, perhaps. Mm. That's quite possible. No, what I thought it was, in reference to the cot, the Doctor could well have had used that cot, mm. but the writing could have been due to do something with a potentially a... As, as yet unnamed River and Doctor's child, and that's what that was oh, kind of yes. some kind of cryptic link towards. And when she mentions it to him, and the whole scene kind of has some resonance with the, because he says, Do you have any children? No, he slept mm-hmm. in the cot. It doesn't mean none of his children have slept in the cot. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I, I've been trying to work out at what point I sort of um, guessed that uh, River, River Song was a- Amy and Rory's child, because I think it was probably around Christmas time that I uh, sort of first um, began to seriously suspect that that's where things were, uh, were heading. Um, uh, I remember working out, um, oh, that would mean that Amy is the Doctor's mother-in-law, and I can see Stephen Moffat having so much fun with that. Mm, yes. <laughs> so, uh, well, not even from the Doctor's perspective, but when Amy realises that the Doctor is potentially married to her daughter. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was a brilliant episode. I really enjoyed just the humour. I have a few call, um, reservations about the whole religion issue, but um, apart from that, I, I thought that was uh, great fun. And it does, uh, it wasn't entirely unseen or unpredictable, but it fits, it makes sense, uh, and it sets things up nicely. Yes. Uh, my only concern would be that I thought the ending was perhaps too reassuring. It didn't feel quite enough of a cliffhanger because uh, River says, oh, it's all going to be okay. I know it's all going yes. to be okay. Um, and when the Doctor leaves in search of um, Melody, you know, baby River, mm. he's smiling and he's happy and he's confident. Yeah. So we don't get any sense of danger or risk or immediacy yeah. that and, and if if River had said on the other hand oh yeah you've got to find the baby otherwise the doctor will have never known me mm. uh, then that would have really yes well the Swithin might be happier if that had been the case if what, I'm sorry if, 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 if River Song had just never appeared in the series oh that'd be totally fine to be fair she's actually becoming a character rather than someone who's just a one-line irritant that she had been mm. up until pretty much this series. Yes. She, she was a little smug. A little? Well, <laughs> let's put it this way. All right, she was quite smug um, when she first appeared. Um, she didn't annoy me particularly, but I could easily underst- understand why she annoyed other people. Mm. Mm. But also it means that the younger River song, when we get to her, um, doesn't... Um, 
have to be played by Alex, Alex Kingston or by an Alex Kingston lookalike. Oh, uh, so that's it's quite re- clever as, as well with the regeneration. Oh, of course, because Helen, my, my wife, was saying, you know, how are we going to do it as young? And I was thinking, ah, that's all right. You used to do it at a distance. <laughs> <laughs> Soft focus. A bit of Vaseline on the camera. <laughs> well, no, you do it like a, like a dance. It was a whole... It seemed like it, the first match was kind of some whist off a feet, some kind of formal dinner, a dance type thing, the dialogue sequence, and the, and the impossible astronaut. Uh, no, no, it's been placed when she was a child. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Maybe not then. I, I, I drops out of the sky type thing. Uh, I might have misread that slightly, but I, I just thought, oh, what if they could just do a sequence, yeah, slightly far away, put mm. young clothes, you know, in it, you know, but no, that that does make sense. Yeah. But yeah, we don't know what the um, uh, child from episode one regenerated into, and no. so there's a lot of potential for a. Uh, twist story where the doctor meets someone who tries to kill him and who at the end of the episode regenerates into River Song type thing. Um, yeah, I remember I could see an awful lot of fun to be had with that actually. Um, so there's a, a, an awful lot that this raises and lots of things that they could do do with it. And I, I, I really think we're, um, it's really good to have some firm answers and to have a bit of progress and um, resolution yeah. on things so far. There's still a lot of outstanding questions, but it did it did feel um, there was a sense of uh, completion to it. Yes, yes, there's this, this sort of mini or half series has felt like a self-contained unit, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's got obvious links to what's mm. going to come in the autumn. My one concern is that um, I wonder how well this series will stand up to rewatchings in the future, especially when we've seen the whole of series six B as well, because it's a series that's so predicated on yeah. not knowing what's coming next and surprise twists and mysteries. Once you know, once all of the answers are in place, is it going to be as much fun to watch it in a couple of years' time, for example? That that's that's something that we well, that we won't be able to tell until you know. Until mm-hmm. the time comes, uh, that's that's the one question mark I'd set over the series to come. But how how would you assess uh, the first half of series six as a whole? I think it's as I mentioned last week. I think it's got some good ideas with the whole art things. I think it, however, in the execution of that, has been somewhat patchy and felt a little. Like, oh, we've got to, have to do a little... The, the, the overall story arc, I think Stephen Moffat's clearly got placed in his mind. How he actually executes that in every week episodes, on the other hand, I think is slightly less certain. Yes. Just, just Despite Hugh Bonneville's cameo in this episode, I think the uh, Curse of the Black Spot was essentially filler, wasn't it? Uh, they, they might have some consequences I, in series I, I, 6B, I, but it felt like filler. I, I don't have a problem with it being filler in the sense of standalone. My only problem with it was that I didn't think on its own terms uh, it was as strong as it could have been. I'd be completely happy with it being a standalone episode. Uh, I just didn't think it... Uh, was as strong as the surrounding. Yes. Oh no, no, my complaint isn't with it being a standalone at all. Um, 
it's just that if you are going to have a short series of you know, mm. six, or in this case, seven episodes, I'm not sure, A, you have room for much filler anyway, uh, and B, if you are going to have it, you have to make sure it's an awful lot stronger than Curse of the Black Spot was. Um, but it, it, just to get back to your original question, in terms of this series overall, Series 6A, um, I'm, re- I'm really quite pleased with the move away from the traditional format of the new series. Mm-hmm. It's an experiment, yes, but I'm quite pleased to have Stephen Moffat experimenting because there's no point in having a new showrunner and a new production team unless they put their own distinctive stamp on the show. Um, but I'd agree with Swithin. The execution has been a little bit muddled in places. The editing, I think, has become cause for concern because there are obviously some scenes that we're missing out on, some threads that aren't as fully developed or stop short of where they should be going. And mm. I suspect they'll all, be on, they'll all be on the DVDs, but they're, they're, it feels Maybe. like they're a little gaps here and there. Yeah, yeah, I think that was an issue last series as well with the editing. I mean, just to say, I think, in, from, from, to some extent, hmm, what I think demonstrates what I was saying about 6A is the strongest episodes, with the exception of the Doctor's Wife, episode being actually quite good as a self-contained episode. Granted, there's only the three others. Mm. But they, as a, the, the, the black spot was in, inconsequential and they really disliked the rebel flat flesh and the almost people. And, but the, what I was thinking, saying was that the most memorable parts yeah. of it, especially parts of, parts of the Doctor's Wife, were the reveals and, oh, what on earth have you done, Stephen? Mm. <laughs> this child is... so. Clearly, the best elements are the overall arc story. Well, they also happen to be the bits that Stephen Moffat uh, chooses to um, write as uh, showrunner, and he is uh, um, uh, probably stronger as as a writer. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's that's fair enough. But as in, the, I, I I don't know. I I think I would prefer as I think of hinted at before a tighter kind of arced beginning rather than these other episodes seemingly somewhat in the way and sort of getting out of absolute mediocrity if not worse rebel flesh by putting a twist at the end granted that was related but it was somewhat an elaborate way of shoehorn so oh we've got an idea for an episode we said oh we've got two episodes why don't you write one based around this concept so we can do the twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was good the way they tried to uh, tie the Rebel Flash as a whole into the story arc. I just think that uh, the story logic went in uh, a little out the window in the second episode. Oh, yeah. um, uh, but I did, I did enjoy the rebel fashion. Almost people, I thought they were, it did have a lot going for it. Um, and on the whole, I think I have um, really enjoyed this series, and I've enjoyed the approach. The more having more of a story arc, and I, I think it's uh, been uh, an experiment, yes, but a successful one too. It's never been less than interesting. Yeah, and obviously we can't entirely judge until uh, the end of the next series, but 
I think judged on its own terms it has entertained and intrigued uh, me and it will be interesting to see how well it holds up on rewatching and within the larger picture but uh, as far as I'm concerned so far I think it's uh, it's been pretty good mm. yeah same here I'll be interested to see how the format evolves next year because mm. I'm, I'm not sure uh, from this point where Moffat wants to go with the series in the future well it depends what a uh, Raw about Arthur Darby and um, oh, but just, just in terms of the formats and the, the question of whether it's going to be mystery based again mm. or whether it's going to be more serialised but I think that might happen to do what happens with them mm. you know, starting the fresh type thing but. yeah and whether it's uh, split again or whether it's 13 episodes and mm. whether it moves to the autumn and all these questions yeah that's true so we, we shall see and we'll also see what uh, what's going on with Let's Kill Hitler yeah that's uh, an interesting title <laughs> yes uh, uh, Caleb and I did go um, Nazi hunting a few weeks ago when they were filming the episode with Hitler uh, in, in, in the, the Temple, Temple of, of Peace, Peace ironically <laughs> yes we went looking for Hitler in the Temple of Peace uh, <laughs> and couldn't, couldn't get close unfortunately there was, we, we were able to hang around outside but we weren't able to get in mm. but yeah we will continue over the summer uh, with coverage including uh, Tortured uh, uh, tribute to Liz Sladen as well as other science fiction and fantasy uh, reviews and uh, discussion uh, we've got some uh, Tolkien uh, related uh, podcasts uh, uh, coming up including um, discussion of the Hobbit movie and uh, launch of the new book Tolkien and Wales by uh, one of my university lecturers we've got an interview with him so uh, there'll be plenty to uh, keep you uh, interested both uh, Doctor Who and beyond so uh, stay tuned bye bye goodbye bye you've been listening to The Impossible Podcast for more Doctor Who commentaries plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening!